Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Today's reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. Good morning again and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, Every once in a while you will come upon some articles that speak about the relationship between mental health and uh, religion, and statistics are actually pretty remarkable. Um, Did you know that the best way that today as society we know how to prevent suicide is actually to go to church? That the statistics show that believers are five times less likely to commit suicide and have a 15%, they're 15% less likely to die over a 15-year period if you go to church once a week. The stats go on and they say churchgoers are happier, less prone to depression, three times more likely to give to charity, more likely to volunteer, less likely to to perform one of 43 different crimes. (laughs) I was like, the 44th? Watch out. Um, But there's a lot of articles out there, and actually a lot of these articles will, will talk about that there's a narrative in culture that says that religion's actually bad for you, but the statistics simply do not back up that claim. Naturally, you're here and um, you might think from all this data that I might be up here to tell you that you should get religious, but religion is not enough. Going to church is not enough. There there was a review uh, late last year, a couple months ago, on that fairly new Mr. Rogers movie, and the reviewer says this. She says, I think I mostly identified with, there's there's a character in the movie, Because he's an adult in a society where we're told from a young age that the best way to fix something is to work harder. Work means money. Money brings a little bit of stability and relief, and however temporary, from fear. But work doesn't actually give us peace or solve our problems. It is what we know, which is far more comforting than staring at the abyss of what we don't know. And so what I think she gets at is, okay, religion can make make you healthier, but it can't stave off that 
nagging suspicion that what the culture is telling us to do for happiness and for life, which is to throw ourselves into our work, to, to buy material goods, that that somehow doesn't actually fulfill. And you might, this morning, you might intellectually know that, but the way you, you, when you leave here, the way you live the rest of your life during the week, the way that we put our emphasis on career and material things, it, it proves that that head knowledge hasn't actually impacted our heart. And I think that's why Paul, in this text, it's, it's a short text today, he is addressing the religious. Because the religious, they might have thought religion is good, they might know the health benefits of it, but what Paul gets at here is it's not good enough. And, and our text is, I think, it's at the very center of Paul's argument against religion. That he's writing against people who say, hey, believe and obey and then you're saved. And Paul's like, no, no, no. It's believe and be saved and that's why you obey. Because religion comes out and says, no, it's faith and obedience to the law that will lead to and result in salvation. And Paul is saying, no, it's faith in salvation that actually eventually leads to obedience. And these are, so there's two different things that have different origins and therefore different results. And so let's unpack this, uh, this passage in three questions. This is how we can look at it. Paul's trying to address why did Jesus have to die? How did Jesus die? And then how now shall we live? All right? So we're gonna look at why did Jesus die? How did Jesus die? And then how now shall we actually live? So first, why did Jesus die? Uh, remember, Paul's audience are, were religious Christians, the good guys, who thought that, okay, Jesus died for them, and now it was up to them to live a good life according to the law codes, the biblical law codes that are there. This is in the first verse. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law, he's saying you're under a curse, and so what, what's, what he's referring to, he specifically he's referring to the Mosaic Law that one scholar thought uh, was able to point out 242 positive commands that you should do and 365, one for every day of the, of the year, of things that you should not do. And the idea was, if you could just do them, you'd be good. And the question, of course, is, well, could you do them all? Could you do enough? And, of course, Paul answers, He says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So in other words, you're supposed to do them all. And he says, you can't do them. And in case you thought that you could, he goes on the next verse, verse 11, and it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And so there's a test for this, by the way. Take any of of the commands. Let's take the one that, let's take one that society still agrees with, right? Thou shalt... Love thy neighbor as thyself, right? I think most society agrees with that. Just evaluate how you live your life right now based on that law. Are you committed to your neighbor in the same way that you're committed to yourself? Would you say that? Or or, or, would, would you say that you strive for and care for and look out for them the same way that you strive for and care for and look out for yourself? See, I, I think the answer of, you know, really look at it, the answer is no. We can't even keep one of these laws that were actually written, let alone the laws that we place on ourselves internally. I ran track in high school, um, and 
started in freshman year. My, my coach said, hey, run the mile. It's four laps around. Uh, I did it once, and after I was done, I was like, coach, I never want to do that again. Um, I can't do four. So he said, okay, do two. You're going to do the 800. And so I ran the 800, and in practice, I was actually pretty good. I, I, would, I would run really good times in the simulated races that we would do during practice. But then when the meet came up, I, I just remember getting so, so nervous. I would often, um, things would come up uh, bef- before, before the meet. And, and yet, you know, you, you're all, you're amped up, you're ready to go, and I would actually do worse than in my simulated times during uh, practice. And my friends, you know, <clears throat> called me someone who choked, <clears throat> which I did. Um, because when the pressure was on, even though I, I was a good runner, in front of others, I couldn't perform. And I think the reason why was because was the law of the race was upon me. Even though I knew I could do it, there was something about it that was suffocating. You might not, try, you might not be trying to perform 242 positive commands and 365 negative commands, but there is a law that's on your life that you probably feel here and there when the pressure is on that ends up being suffocating. And it's too much. And it hangs over us. And that is a judgment on us. And, and Paul here says that that's the curse. Now, I know as modern people, we look at the word curse and we're like, that's kind of superstitious. But the truth is, curses are actually everywhere. They're in, all, they're in, they're in everything. Because why? Relationships are actually all based on law. That if you perform the laws of a relationship, there's blessing. And if you don't perform the laws of a relationship, there's curses. So let me give you an example of that. We're all right now, you're all sitting here, you're, you are actually obeying the unwritten but very true law of thou shall not punch thy neighbor in the pew in thy face. <laughs> and the reason why you're doing that is because the curses, you'll be punched with some litigation or right back. Or you know, there, there is a curse that if you do not perform by that law, you will be, there's a penalty. We live in New York City, actually by laws, walking around. They're unwritten, they're very thin. But if you do not perform these laws, you will literally be taken out of society in the same way that in the relationships that we are in, those relationships will end if we do not perform based on them as well. I'll give you an example. Everybody knows friendship is based on trust. But get at the essence. What is trust? Trust is following the law of you know, not betraying confidence. It's, it's do not betray law. It's the keep things in confidence law. It's the I will be there through thick and thin law. And if you break those laws, the relationship breaks because you've broken the trust and the friendship is over. But if you hold up the law of trust, then the friendship can blossom. There's a blessing. And so these quotes that, you know, Paul has like, I think close to four or five quotes in here, all from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 21 and 27, where you find a lot of laws. And for us today, 2020, we look back and we go, I don't, I don't really, I don't feel like I can connect with these, but these laws are not just written uh, arbitrarily. The Bible uses the laws as a record for the natural blessings and curses that come for a life that's lived either for God or against God. If you were created and God created you, and therefore de facto you're, you're meant for a relationship with him, that means then 
that if you are living according to the law that he has of what is needed for us to be in relationship with him, then we live. And if we don't, we die. And I don't know if you're keeping score at home, but I don't think we hold up our own laws that we've given ourselves. We don't live up, even the measures that we judge other people by, when we turn that on ourselves, we don't live up to that. And secondly, we don't live up to the laws needed to be in relationship with him, as Paul just illustrated. Right, God says what? Have no other gods before me. Do justice, love mercy, care for the poor. Move out towards others. And not if, but when we don't do those things, you know what ends up happening? Society breaks down. Your relationship with others break down. Your relationship with God breaks down. It's not, that, it's not, that, it's not rocket science. Right? That, that, that actually, those are all curses. And I'm pushing on this because you won't and you can't care about why Jesus died unless you see, unless you can admit that that we're living under the natural causes that we have actually done in life, that we're living under the natural curses that come from breaking the law of relationship between God and between others and ourselves. So that's why Jesus died. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. And that's why he died. He had to die because of the curses that, that are upon us. Now, it matters also how he died. And this is the second point here. Let's ask how shall we now escape from the curses of the law? And there's actually a lot of possibilities. One possibility is go down to your local Barnes & Noble. There's a nice self-help section there. And what you'll find in there is there's ways to activate yourself. You can live in harmony with yourself. It's a multi-billion dollar industry to try to optimize oneself. And if you feel like, if, if you feel like you've upgraded, then you're good. Which is why, you know, for maybe decades or at least a decade, maybe it was in the 90s or so, people would say, hey, I'm good, you're good, we're all good. Because there was a sort of emphasis on self-actualization. We, we've stopped sort of saying that phrase more recently. Um, sociologist Christian Smith at Notre Dame and his book, uh, Souls in Transition, he actually talks about this. If I can summarize his, his work, he basically says today's adults are actually optimistic about, about themselves. They're optimistic about themselves, but they're pessimistic about the world, which is kind of funny if you think about it because we're part of the world. But the, um, what they're saying now is not, I'm good, you're good, we're all good. It's now, I'm good and you're not. That's how we've moved on. And why? Because it's not that hard. You look around and we see the injustice and the oppression and the violence and the hurt. And so it looks kind of ridiculous in a fractured society to say, hey, we're all good. This is what we talked about last week, that now we've moved in the 2020s, we've now moved out, we're more willing to call out somebody who's not good, right? And that, it's now, I'm good, you're not, I'm going to tell you about it. But as we pointed last week, there's no end to that cycle, because what ends up happening is, I cancel you, of course, then they cancel me, and now we've canceled each other out, and now we're not in relationship, so now we're not talking to each other, now it's impossible to actually... Uh, 
move each other because we're in siloed worlds. And that, this is the fractured society that just keeps on perpetuating. We keep breaking it down. And, it, and nobody's listening to each other anymore. So yes, it's too simplistic to say, I'm good, you're good, we're all good. But it, it, what also doesn't work is I'm good and you're not. And I think this is where Paul is radical because he comes out and says, no, 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 the message is I'm not good and you're not good either. The Bible says, hey, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are alienated from God because of the broken relationships that are evident in the curses that are moving out in the world through us. And so Paul says, you can't do it on your own. Which is, I think leads us to the, to the most important verse in the entire book of, the, of, of Galatians. It's right here, the next verse, verse 13. Therefore... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. He kind of comments on this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, another version. He says this. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. See, Paul's saying not that Jesus became evil. He's saying that he was treated as if he was evil. So Christ substituted himself for us. And that word substitution, I know we only use it for teachers or for sports, and now, you know, when people come in and out of, of games. But substitution means a complete reversal of reality. It's upside down and inside out. God deserves to be on high. We deserve to be down low. But when he becomes a curse for us here, right, going into that curse blessing language, now he takes our place. We're brought up and he's brought down. And that switch, if you can actually internalize that switch, not just know it intellectually, but very personally, that is the space for all existential change. That is the space for all existential peace. That's the essence of Christianity. Because it's, it, now life is lived through a grid. You can view all of life through this substitutionary grace. And it, 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 can, it can move you, it can change you. Um, in A Tale of Two Cities, at the very end, uh, by Charles Dickens, there's um, Charles Darnay, who is in prison. He's going to be executed. He's going to be killed. And his friend, Sidney Carton, who, uh, the love of his life was Lucy. All he wanted to do was be with her, and he loved her and desired her. And she ended up marrying Charles, who is now going to be killed the next day. And so Sidney sneaks into the prison tries to convince Charles to switch places with him. Of course, Charles was too honorable and said, no, no, no. So what does Sidney do? Bops him over the head, right? He basically knocks him out, smuggles him out of the prison and takes his place, which that's, that's powerful in and of itself. But then a, a, another, a woman prisoner who could have called out to the, to the authorities, right? She could have earned favor that way. Instead, she was so intrigued by this she goes to Sydney and just peppers him. Why did you do that? Why did you substitute your life for him? And he said, he said, you know, it wasn't just for him. It was for her. It was for Lucy. It was so that she could have a life, so that she could have a family and a husband and move on. That's why he substituted his life for, her, for them. And so what she did was, she looked at him and said, you know what, I'm going to die tomorrow and I, I can't, I can't actually, I can't bear it. 
but seeing the fact that you were willing to do this for them, that you substituted your life for them, now I can face this. And what hit me, what's always hit me, is her life was changed by just viewing someone else substituting. And if that's possible for her, then how much more could we be changed if we saw that Jesus substituted his life for ours? Right, on the cross, God put himself where we deserve to be so that when we live by faith, we get to be where he deserves to be. Some of the world, actually, I think a lot of folks, they'll actually accept Jesus as the forgiver of sins. That's only half the gospel. That's what these folks had. They had half the gospel. Yeah, Jesus forgives me. Now I have to live a good life and obey the law. And Paul is saying that's only half the gospel. He took your record, yes, but you get his record. So it's not just a clean slate. It's you can't lose the love of God even if you tried. That is where the power is. Yes, clear your guilt, but you get the free, unconditional love of God. All love I know of in the world at some level is conditional, but the gospel says, I'm so bad, Jesus had to substitute himself for me, but I'm so loved and cared and valued that he was willing to substitute himself for us. Jesus died, but we don't just, he doesn't just take the curse, we get the blessing. And I don't think we, I don't think we daily, hourly, minute by minute focus on the blessing that we have. Because if we did, it would change your life if we let it. So last point, how now shall we live? Right, if, if it's, we already know intellectually, it's, it's faith, not works. It's faith, and faith is trust, just to translate it, and trust is what you identify where you put your ultimate hope in, and Paul says it's Christ crucified. If Paul says you not only get the gospel, but you get the blessing, look, at, look what he says next. So what else do you get? Well, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Okay, why? so how's that through? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, I think this is really important that we don't look at enough of what is this promised spirit? No, no, I think in the context, it's surely looking back towards Abraham that it was always by grace, but it's also pointing forwards to the life of liberty, of love that is going to come in the new heavens, new earth, that the spirit indwelling in you is changing and moving and making you different. I think this is important for us to get because I think sometimes we say, okay, right, Christianity, reversal of values, right, he gets the curse, I get the blessing, end of time, we're good. But the promised spirit actually means there is indwelling in you something that every day is affecting your life forever and can. Greg Beal points this out in his book called Redemptive Reversals where he shows in the Bible any blessing, any, any singular good that comes without God eventually will turn into a curse. And any actually curse that actually you have, but in Christ, actually can turn into blessing. And, uh, so what he, and I think what he's getting here is that, that this blessing that comes, right? If, you get a, if the bad things in your life that are curses eventually turn into blessing, maybe not in this life, but definitely in the next. This is... This is Paul working out Romans 8 when he says that God now works all things for the good of those who love him. 
Let's play this out. Go to, in the, in, in the Bible, go to the, uh, Haman. He's that Persian prince in um, the book of Esther. And there's Mordecai the Jew. And Haman is super, super angry at Mordecai because he would not bow down to him and pay homage. Which, of course, there's, there's race connotations there. There's, there's social economic class tensions there. And so Haman goes to the king, decrees, gets him to decree a law to kill all Jews. And the next day, Mordecai is going to be killed. And yet that night, when it looked like all was lost, the king had a bad night's sleep. Maybe something didn't sit well. And he woke up and he had his servant kind of go over the records of what was going on in the kingdom. And it turns out from that record book, for the first time he hears that it was Mordecai who stopped an assassination attempt on his life that happened earlier. And he was so filled with guilt that he's like, I haven't honored this man. I need to make things right. So he wakes up the next day, Haman comes in, and the king says to Haman, he says, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman thought, of course, he's self-focused, he thought the king was talking about himself. So he thought, what would I want? And he said, for the, for the man who the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, a horse and a crown, and lead him on horseback throughout the city to honor him. Now, once Haman's plot was found out and reported by Queen Esther, it was all shown. The king had Haman killed on the very gallows that he was going to hang Mordecai on. Do you see this reversal? What Haman wanted more than anything else was to be on that horse and for Mordecai to be on the pole. What ends up happening is Haman ends up on the pole and Mordecai on the horse. Haman thought he was going to pull himself up and Mordecai down. And what happens is Mordecai goes up and Haman goes down. And that's just one story. But the Bible plays this out over and over and over again. It's always Abel and not Cain. It's Isaac over Ishmael. It's Sarah over Hagar. It's Leah over Rachel. It's David over his more strapping brothers. It's Jacob over Esau. It's it's, um, Moses over Aaron. I mean, we can go on and on and on, but the reversal there is this. The world always, back then, said, it's always the oldest, it's always the prettiest, it's always the, the best should win, which, by the way, is how our world works too. And the Bible's saying that's not how God works. This doesn't mean that the Bible is saying, by the way, if you just believed and have faith, then your life's gonna turn out okay. I can tell you that because Jesus had better faith than all of us and his life did not turn out Okay. But if you live for him, now we know every bad thing, every curse at some level, some way, somehow turns into blessing. How about Hannah in the Bible, right? You had Hannah, she's mocked by uh, Penea. And her whole life she's just looked down on. She couldn't have children. That's where her identity was in. The curses that came at her, what did she do with them? Well, and for Hannah, it drove her further into prayer to God. That if she hadn't suffered, interestingly, if this hadn't happened to her, she probably wouldn't have run to him. Right? She could have said, life's terrible. My life is not the way I want it to be. The curses are coming, and I'm just done. I'm out of here. But instead, what she said was, no, I'm going to actually go to you with everything, more so. I love you more, not less. And the suffering, when it turned into blessing, it allowed her to then dedicate her son to God. 
So without that hurt, Samuel probably never would have become the man that he became. He never would have trained up David to become the man that he became. None of these generational blessings would have actually happened if it wasn't for the suffering that she went through that turned into blessing. So hopefully you see the point. The point is this. Do you think in her suffering she understood why it was happening in that moment? Do you think that she actually knew how to actually process it? No, of course not. She couldn't have. But if you knew that the curses that you feel, the suffering that you've gone through and have gone through and will go through, if somehow you knew that that was going to turn into blessing, we don't know when, where, how, but that it will, that's the promise here in the Spirit, that doesn't just let you persevere now, it drives you forward perpetually. That's what it, that we see here. It's promised that we don't know why we suffer. We do, but folks, we don't know why, but we know it can't be that he doesn't love us. The cross has already proven that he loves us. And if God can take the worst in the cross and turn it into good, he, you know that God can turn what's worst in your life and turn it into good as well. That is what the Spirit is bringing. All was lost, now all is found. All was dark, now all is light. All was gone and we have it back. How do I put this? Maybe you didn't get into the school you wanted to. Maybe you didn't get the job. Maybe you didn't get the girl or the guy. Or maybe you didn't get the, what you always felt like you deserved. I, for, we look around and we say, you know what? I deserve so much more. Maybe that's you. And you feel like you've, got, you've been cursed. But in Jesus, that curse can only turn into a blessing. I read a story once about a, um, this, this, pro, this athlete. He, he knew he was going to go pro. He got recruited, went to a great college. And because of the NCAA um, rules, he, he had to actually sit out the first two years. He had two years of eligibility left, started practicing, got injured, never, his career never took off. He never went pro. And that hurt, that curse made him get introspective. He started thinking, he started uh, praying, he started really reading a ton, started studying, and he realized his love was to become a professor. Like, world loss turns into kingdom gain. That's the biblical principle. The idols that are on you that are trying to kill you right now, in Christ, those hardships can only make you more like him. All suffering points to him and can lead you to more worship. How? Any suffering that you have right now, can, you could actually say, what you can do now is you say, wait, 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 Jesus, you felt pain like this for me? Thank you. Wait, you, you've, you've tasted this and more for me? Thank you. Right? When you live like Jesus, a hard life eventually turns easy. And actually, interestingly, easy lives tend to turn hard. This is Mark 8, by the way. Right? Jesus says, whoever wants to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will save it. If you ha- are looking for an identity apart from Jesus, the blessing which you could probably get here, the power, the fame, the fortune, it's going to turn to ash one day. You can't keep it. It goes away. And so here's, I try to come up with just two super practical applications. Here's, here they are. One, if Jesus took the curses and all you have left is blessing, then live in light of that in your life. How? When the curses come, know the blessing. Know that, the, remember the ultimate blessing. And if you do that, you'll be able to be, be more stable than ever before. That's the first practical application. Secondly, if all blessing without God turns eventually to curse, curses, 
what are the blessings that you and I are looking to right now that will turn to curses? What are the created things that we, that we think we need or want that won't work because it's not the creator? If, if, let's say if it's your own beauty and you're enamored with it, that blessing, just give it time. It'll turn to curse. If the world's never thought you're beautiful, if you felt like that's been your curse to bear, Imagine at the end of time when you finally realize how beautiful you really are. Blessing. Friends, if you knew that our bad things ultimately will turn out for good, if you knew that all ultimate real good things you can never really lose, and if you knew that the best was yet to come, guess what would happen? You would, if you lived in light of that, daily, weekly, hourly, guess what's left? The only thing left is a heart lived for others. I'm loved and so now I can love. I've been served and now I want to serve. That's the motivation that's going to stop the, break, the cycle of canceling each other out. You're going to say, no, let's move further in. That's what's going to worm your heart internally up to him and out towards others. We will move out in blessing to the degree that all of our curses have been turned into blessing. Will you receive this blessing? We just, just take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will we rest in the blessing? I pray we don't want to just take half the gospel. So we could take the blessing and not realize that we've brought the curses. We could know that you've forgiven us from the curses but not actually rest in the blessing of your love. I pray that you will move in us in such a powerful way that we don't just oscillate between one or the other, but we accept both. And that humbly lets us to have the introspection and the love and the care out into the world, Father, in power, without tiredness, with, with, with a new profound ability and energy. There's so many good things out there, Father, work, love, beauty, family, Help these good things not become ultimate things in our lives. They can't fulfill us. They can't, they can't withstand the stress to be what we need them to be. Only you can. And when we see the cross lived and died for us, that, that, thank you. You did that for us. Thank you. We're placing these in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.